Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. With us all now being experts on elementals, let us now discuss the jinn. And what better place to start than with the element of earth. Obviously, when we speak of Araby, then the earth there is the desert. And thus, the type of earth elementals you encounter in Araby are called desert spirits. Whirling vortexes of sand, able to engulf whole armies in swirling clouds of suffocating sand and dust, reducing them to naught but bones and armour. But let us not dally. On to water. As you can imagine, there is not much water in Araby itself, but it is surrounded by the sea, and thus, this is where you find the jinn of the element of water. In the brief period of time I spent with the former corsair turned Tuareg war leader, Brahmin of Lashik, he told of the jinn commonly known as the sea nymphs. He said that some of the Practitioners of magic on the sorcerer's islands off the west coast possessed magical jars filled with sparkling seawater, within which were bound the essences of these sea nymphs. Although uh, the term he preferred to use was salt devils. Outlander, they are fearful things. I have seen them fleece the sea solid around enemy ships, leaving them easy prey for our own vessels. I even heard tell of one sealing the hole in their master's boat with a sheet of living ice. Oh, yeah, yeah. In my mind's eye, I can see the scene now. Hideous and inhuman ice monsters hurling lances of magic at the waters around the boat. Who could fight against such? Ah, well, actually, that is not quite how Brahman described them. But outlander, it is best that they are locked up in jars. So the devils are evil things that wear the skins of beautiful maidens. They seduce sailors to come unto them and then delight in dragging their victims down into the deep abyss of the ocean, never to be seen again. Oh, yeah, I see. I uh, stand corrected. But they are at least hideous in nature, if not in aspect. 
What then of the wind elementals that our dear master alchemist told us about? Are there gene equivalents of these also? There are indeed. They are called Tempest Jin, and it was one of the Tuareg elders who told me of these. The capricious children of Kassar the Faceless, the avatars of the Four Winds, too, have been trapped by the sorcerers of the Western Isle and Isa, hidden away in jars, and used by them to drive their ships across the waves, or bound into carpets. As a younger man, I was a slave upon one of the pleasure barges of Lashik. I saw my mistress, a cold and callous sorceress, stand upon the bridge and whisper her words into a stone jar. It immediately shattered into dust, and out from its remnants arose a djinn of the tempest, its form like a great swirling cloud of wind that blew into the sails of the boat. Their hurricane breath filling them with the unbridled power of a tornado, whilst at the same time drawing the winds from across the seas unto themselves. Oh, yeah. These jinn are just like the ones that my grandpapa told me about from his voyage with Marco Colombo. Ah, yes, of course, I remember. The one that powered the barge of the former emir of Sartosa, Abu Dalvazak, and his uh, corsairs. Hmm. Ah, anyway, the Tuareg elder also told me about the other type of tempest jinn I just mentioned. Once, as I laboured, as a servant in the tower of my mistress, I watched as she attempted to bind some of these aerial spirits into the intricate patterns of a small carpet. They fought and struggled against their imprisonment, scratching at her face and leaving great gouges in the walls. But it was she and her iron will that were finally triumphant. Upon taming the creatures, all that was left undisturbed in the room was the rug into which they had been spellbound. She, she gave me a look, and I shrunk back and made a move to return to my duties, but... Uh, I was there long enough to see her step onto the carpet and fly out of the open window and out into the open sky. I have to say that forcing both man and spirit to do one's bidding in such ways goes against my very being to the core. It is simply the turning of the living into naught but objects to be used and then tossed aside. I wholeheartedly agree. Slavery in all shapes and forms, and the subjugation of men, beasts, magic, and creatures, is rife in Araby. Indeed, without it, their society would probably soon collapse. Och, if that is their foundation, then perhaps their society should collapse. 
Mm, perhaps. Anyway, shall we now talk about the djinn that embody the element of fire? These djinn are known as fire ifrits. Although I've also heard it pronounced as efrit in places such as Kofa and al Haik. So I believe that both pronunciations are correct. Anyway, these I've actually seen with my own eyes. Back in the summer of 1548, the Ava Phantom was docked at one of the keys of Lashik. We were loading up our newly acquired cargo, our brows dripping with sweat under the afternoon sun, when suddenly an awful ruckus broke out in the nearby harbour market. I quickly ran towards the commotion. I saw that traders were packing up their stalls and wares as quickly as they could, as their customers fled. Parrots and exotic birds swooping this way and that overhead, and some slaves taking the opportunity to make a break for freedom. At the centre of the furore stood a large man in black robes, decorated with flecks of red silks and jewels. He was surrounded by a gang of robbers, brandishing knives and clubs. Above his head, he held aloft a stone jar in one hand and a piece of flint in the other. The gang was slowly edging towards him. He shouted something I couldn't quite make out, but what I could not help but notice was that he struck the flint against the top of the jar. This spark ignited the dried naphtha and powdered sulphur within. The sorcerer, for clearly that is what he was, then hurled the jar into the midst of his foes and stepped back, an evil smile splitting his face. The flames roared forth from the ignited jar and immediately set a light to the robes of one of the robbers, who fell to the floor, screaming. His comrades tore away at his clothes and tossed sand upon the fires, but he was already ablaze with unholy flame. The troubles of the others had only just begun, though. A fiery plume arose and grew larger and larger, from the heart of its depths manifested a terrifying fire ifrit, a jinn, a fire elemental that delighted in savage destruction and was about to give full rein to its particular predilection. Honestly, I have to say, Heinrich, back to your question, are they demons? This is as close to a demon without actually being a demon as you can get, in my opinion. The Ifrit possessed a bestial head. From this, long black horns sprouted out, and a fiery mane ran from the top of its head to the base of its spine. Its body was thin, although its shoulders were 
broad and its skin was black like coal, apart from veins of what appeared to be lava bubbling below the surface that could be uh, seen as they danced out from the cracks that erupted from under the numerous welts that covered its hideous body. But uh, what drew my eye were its long arms that terminated in horrendous talons that dripped with fiery tallow. The djinn cackled as it reveled in its freedom before hurtling through the air and into the group of men that were threatening its master. Their screams were short as each was either incinerated immediately or set aflame. The djinn did not stop there, though, and began to sear through the remaining market stalls and nearby ships in the harbour. Captain Redlocks, we need to haul anchor and leave right now! I heard Gensha shout out to the captain, and those who were still in the quay ran for the gangplank before it was pulled aboard. And it was not a moment too soon. As we sailed out of the harbour, I saw that the other moored ships had become infernos that hissed and smoked as they sank into the depths. But what I can never forget is this. Above all the other sounds of destruction was the voice of the Ifrit. It was manically shouting and cursing as it went about its business, and it was not a voice that belonged to anything with a throat of flesh and bone. It sounded more like the, the spitting and crackling of raw meat, thick with black blood, burning on an open fire. Ah, and speaking of fire and death, that reminds me of another story. One I heard upon the whaling boat, the Omen Barden. Tell me, Heinrich, Cedric, Neophytes, have you ever heard the tale of the forging of the Hellfire Sword? I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads. Ach, tis indeed not a tale that I've heard. Yeah, yeah, nor I, Master Tavernkeeper. Does it pertain to one of Caesar, a fire genie? Oh, it most certainly does. Here, let me tell you all of Garathor and the Hellfire Sword. I heard many tales as I whiled away the hours on the Norse whaling boat, searching the Sea of Claws for our prey. And one was the tale of the Chaos Lord, Garathor. Long ago, there was a champion of chaos called Garathor. Great was his prowess, and terrible was his wrath. He worshipped the Dark Pantheon as a whole, and honoured each of the four gods with equal devotion. Many were his rivals that fell to his blades, and soon 
he rose to become the leader and warlord of an army of chaotic knights. An army simply known as the Death Bringers. He was rewarded for his dedication and prowess. He was gifted a mysterious black amulet by the Dark Prince and a never-ending flask of magical potion by the Grandfather. From the Blood God, he was given a single searing flame of hellfire and from the God of Change, he received the blood of a fire djinn, a gift from one of the God's followers secreted away in Araby. The God of Deceit did not stop there though, for the golden gift bearer also imparted instructions on how to forge a powerful magical blade using both the blood and the flame of hellfire. And so Garathor and his chosen journeyed into the dark lands and the realm of the Zawizar, the Chaos Dwarfs. And so, in the forges of Hashut, the single searing flame of the blood god was hammered into material form and then quenched and tempered in the blood of a fire djinn. The blade became known as the Hellfire Sword, and those that fell to it were set ablaze before they exploded, their blood turning into roiling liquid fire as they were felled. Garathor became a great and unstoppable Chaos Lord, but there was a price. The changer of the ways cannot be trusted, and over time the sword slowly consumed the life force of Garathor until he was reduced to nothing more than ashes, trapped within his Chaos Armour, a desiccated warning to mistrust the boons of the Dark Gods. And there, clenched in the gauntlet of its former master, the blade remained for decades, until another, desirous of its power, ascended his throne of skulls and prized the blade from Garathor's ruined hand. It is said that the soul-starved weapon flared bright and hot in its new owner's hand, so bright and hot that it fused with the flesh of his palm and fingers. This man became a powerful Chaos Lord, but in due course he too was consumed, and the cycle began yet again. Another took the blade, and once more fell victim to the pernicious hunger of the weapon. And so, the weapon's tale has continued on and on and on until the present day, and it's out there somewhere in the Chaos Wastes. By the gods, what a terrible tale of death upon death. There is no good in the Northlands, no reward for service to the dark powers, only thraldom and misery. Och, and don't you forget that, almighty warrior. You're exactly the sort the dark powers would love to get their talons into. Promise me this, you'll trust no one and nothing that offers you a short path 
to power. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I will uh, try my best. Actually, I would advise against making oaths while uh, under the influence, Heinrich. Please, leave him be, Master Alchemist. Anyway, our conversation's not yet finished, for we are not yet done with the djinn. Ach, what do you mean? We've covered the four elements, haven't we? We have indeed. But there are also the royal djinn.